be. Well, we are in Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Please stand with me out of honor to God and His Word as I ask the question this morning, Who is Christ? Who is Christ? And what is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who believe, according to the working of His mighty power, which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in the heavenly places? Thank you. You may be seated. Who is Christ? Who is He? Well, we're going to find out today. By the way, keep your Bibles open because we're going to be looking at other verses below uh, verses 19 and 20. But speaking of who it is, an unemployed man knocked on the door of a house. The lady inside wondered who it was. And when she opened the door, the man asked, Could you spare a few bucks or some food? The lady said, I have a job for you to do to earn some money. My porch needs painted. Use that green paint and those brushes over there. Well, the man agrees and the lady closes the door. About an hour later, there's another knock on the door and the lady opens it. The man says, I'm all finished. And by the way, it's a Cadillac, not a Porsche. (laughs) So who is Christ? Well, first of all, I want you to see from verse 20, he is the resurrected one. He is the resurrected one. Look what it says in verse 20, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. He is the resurrected one. Now, Jesus died on the cross to pay for the sins of all who would believe. But do you realize that Jesus' death was not enough to secure eternal life for us? No, it wasn't. His death paid for our sins. But his resurrection is what made us right with God. His resurrection is what brought us our justification. Look what Paul writes here in Romans 4.25. Speaking of Jesus, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. You see, Christianity Christianity stands and falls on the historical resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The Apostle Paul said, if there is no resurrection, we are miserable, miserable people. In fact, he said, if there's no resurrection, we are among all men the most miserable. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ... We are of all men most miserable. But then Paul says, hey, don't be miserable. Now is Christ risen from the dead. You see, if there's no resurrection, Jesus' teachings, Jesus' miracles, Jesus' death, these mean nothing. They mean nothing without the resurrection. And think about this. Without the resurrection, we have no message. Why? Because apparently Jesus either lied or was horribly mistaken about the resurrection. He said on numerous occasions, I'll rise from the dead. But listen, without the resurrection, we have no message. He lied or he was wrong. And not only that, we have no hope. Because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, that means he did not defeat death. He did not defeat Satan. He did not defeat hell. Where's our hope? We have no hope. Not only that, Jesus isn't coming back one day. You know, we all look forward to that that day that is coming where the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, will appear and come back to take His church to be with Him. But guess what? If He's still dead in a tomb somewhere, He ain't coming back. We have no hope. If Jesus is still dead in the tomb, we can't go to heaven when we die. I don't know if anybody doesn't want to go to heaven when they die and spend eternity walking the streets of gold and all that goes with it. But listen, if Jesus didn't make it to heaven... Because he's still in the grave, we're not going either. We have no hope. If Jesus isn't risen from the dead, there is no eternal life. There isn't. But I got good news for you. 
Jesus is risen. <laughs> Jesus is risen, just as he said. Look what the angel says here in Matthew 28, 6. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, that Jesus is the first fruits to rise from the dead. He's the first fruits. He's the first one who ever rose permanently from the dead. And since he's the first fruits, everybody else that's a believer is going to rise when our day comes. And so who is Jesus? He's the resurrected one. But secondly, I want you to see that he is the, oh, look, there he is, rising from the dead, just like he said. He is the ascended one. In verse 20, back to look at this, it says, Christ, he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Jesus is the ascended one. After Jesus' earthly ministry, he went back to heaven. We read about that in Acts 1.9. It says, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And so, after Jesus' earthly ministry, like I was illustrating there, he's standing there on that mountaintop with his disciples, and all of a sudden he just starts going up and up and up and up. And Jesus is now, as the ascended one, he is in heaven. And I want you to know that Jesus is very busy in heaven. Well, what's he doing? What's he doing in heaven? Well, first of all, we read here in verse 20 that he took the position of honor. He is seated at the Father's right hand. And so when he got to heaven, first thing he did, he took the position of honor. Secondly, while Jesus is in heaven, he is preparing a place for us as believers. Look what he said here in John 14, 3. And since I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. And so he took the position of honor. He is preparing a place for us as believers. And he is serving as our liaison to the Father. What do I mean? 1 John 2, 1 says Jesus is our advocate. 1 Timothy 2.5 says Jesus is our mediator. And Hebrews 7.24 and 25 says Jesus is our intercessor. He is very, very busy in heaven. And while Jesus did leave this earth, he will come back just as he left. He will come back just as he left. Look in Acts chapter 1 and verse, verses 10 and 11. It says, and while they looked steadfastly towards heaven as he went up, and by the way, I'd be doing the same thing. If I stand there talking to Jesus, he started floating up, I'd watch him go. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. And so Jesus did leave. He did ascend into heaven. But he is coming back just like he left. I shared with you on Mother's Day that our two older children are adopted. But before we adopted them, we were their foster parents. And part of our unfortunate duty as foster parents is we would have to take uh, our children to visit with their biological mom. The dad had already committed suicide, but uh, the mom was still in the picture, so we had to take them for these visits. And these visits were horrible because the mother would tell our children bad things about us, and, and it would take two or three days to get them, you know, straightened back out afterwards and back on track with school and so on. So we hated those visits, but it was our legal obligation. We had to do it. And what I would do, I always took them to the visits. I would drop them off, and I would leave and go run an errand or something, and then I would come back and pick them up. Well, one time when I dropped the children off, I decided I was going to stay. I had brought some study materials with me, and I was just going to stay until their visit was over. 
And while I was there and I began my studies, my daughter came to the door and said, Daddy, I want you to leave. I can't tell you how that broke my heart. Here's this little girl, three years old. I wanted to adopt her. I wanted for us to spend the rest of our natural lives together, you know, as family. And she told me she wanted me to leave. So when I came back at the appointed time and put the kids in the car, I had to know. I said, Jessica, why did you tell me to leave? She said, because I wanted you to come back to get me. And God took my broken heart and he put it right back together. You see, Jessica understood that when she'd go to these visits, I would leave. But I always came back. But if I didn't leave, I couldn't come back. See? And so she wanted me to leave so I could come back to get her. Well, the same thing is true with Jesus here. He left, but he's coming back. If he never left, he couldn't come back. He will come back just as he left. He will return as he promised. And how will Jesus return? Well, Paul tells us about that in 1 Thessalonians 4. In verse 16, he says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. I think I skipped a part. Notice how Jesus will return. He will return personally. It says the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. Secondly, he will return publicly. All will hear that trumpet blast. Every eye will see him. He will return precisely. Believers only will be taken with him. And he will return at a predetermined time. What is that time, you ask? I have no idea. But I will tell you this. It is a date and time on heaven's calendar. And Jesus will not be one minute early and one minute late. He will come back at a predetermined time. Since I don't know what it is and you don't know what it is, we better all be ready when it happens. And so who is Jesus? He's the resurrected one. Who is Jesus? He's the ascended one. Thirdly, who is Jesus? He's the exalted one. Look at verse 21. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. He is the exalted one. Let me tell you, Jesus is not the big man upstairs. Jesus is not the good Lord. Jesus is not a casual cuss word. In the two and a half years since I've been here, I have heard members of this very church say, Oh my God. You say, Well, that's not a curse word. That is taking the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in vain. Do not do that. He's the exalted one. You say the name of Jesus, you say it with honor and respect. Notice what Paul says here. He is far above every earthly power. Far above every earthly power. Whether you're talking about the forces of nature, like hurricanes and tornadoes, very powerful. He's far above all that. Governments, just certain names of of nations and governments kind of make us shiver, like Russia or China and so on. Even if you're not from here, the United States of America. But guess what? He's far above that. Even satanic powers on this earth. You know, I think some people think, and you can thank the Mormons for this because this is what they believe. They believe Jesus and Satan are brothers, and they're basically equals, and they're just kind of always duking it out. And sometimes Satan wins, and sometimes Jesus wins, and, you know, they're brothers, and they're, they're equal. No, they're not. He's far above all satanic powers. 
Not only is he far above every earthly power, he's far above every earthly name. Whether it's the name of a nation, the name of national leaders, or religious leaders, political leaders, celebrities, even Satan himself, whom Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, 4 calls the God of this world. Jesus' name is far above every earthly power, every earthly name. Indeed, his name is above every name. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 9, says this, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This passage says that one day every knee shall bow to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now some already have. I have bowed my knees to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope you have too. And if you haven't, you better before it's too late. Because the day is coming when every knee shall bow. Not only shall every knee bow, though, it says every tongue will confess. And notice what it says, every tongue will confess. The first thing every tongue will confess, look at just that last line there, Jesus Christ is Lord. Every tongue will confess, first of all, that Jesus is Savior. You see, the name Jesus means God saves. And so every tongue will confess that Jesus is Savior. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Christ. The word Christ is the Greek form of the Hebrew Messiah, the Anointed One. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Savior, Messiah, and Lord. The word Lord there is kurios in the Greek, which means God. And so the day is coming not only where every knee shall bow to the Lord Jesus Christ, but every tongue will confess that Jesus really is the Savior, the Messiah, and God. Again, some already have. I have. And I hope you have too. Confess with your mouth and meant it in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let me tell you who Jesus is. Jesus is Lord God Almighty. That's who he is. He is Lord God Almighty. And to reject the divinity of Christ is to reject Christ. For instance, if you have any Jehovah's Witness friends, they will tell you, well, Jesus is good. He's not God. I mean, God is God. Jesus is the Son of God. To reject the divinity of Christ is to reject Christ. He is Lord. He's Lord God Almighty. But do you serve him as such? Do you obey him as such? Think about the things you say. Think about the things you do. Think about the places you go. Do you really believe he is Lord God Almighty? Would you really say those things if he were your Lord God Almighty? Would you really do those things if he were your Lord God Almighty? Would you really go those places if he were your Lord God Almighty? Because he is Lord God Almighty. You and I must serve and obey him as such. Jesus is not only exalted, the exalted one now, but he will remain exalted in the new heaven and the new earth. And I want to show you something else here, and that is that part of Jesus' exaltation. He is sovereign over all things. Everything is under his feet. Look in verse 22. And has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. And so he's sovereign over all things. Everything is under his feet. All these world events that seemingly are spinning out of control, no, they're not. They're under his feet. 
And he's even involved in the minutia of world and daily events. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible is Proverbs 16.33, which says this. The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is from the Lord. Now, the lot is essentially rolling dice. And so Proverbs says there, we roll the dice, God causes the numbers to come up. That's how intimately involved God is with his creation. There's nothing spinning out of control. There's nothing happening that is not under the very feet of Lord God Almighty Jesus Christ. He is sovereign over all things, including the church. The church universal, all believers of all time. He is sovereign over the universal church, and he is sovereign over the local church, even this church, First Baptist Church of La Plata. I'm the pastor here. I don't run the show. We got a bunch of deacons here. They don't run the show. We're congregationally governed. You don't run the show. You know who runs the show? The Lord Jesus Christ. It's his church. He's sovereign over it. And he graciously lets some of us provide leadership in his church. But ain't nobody here running the show. He does it all from the throne in heaven. Notice Paul calls him the head here in verse 22. He's the head. That word means he's the chief. We might say today he's the CEO. This is his church. You know why? Because he paid for it. Look what Paul writes here in Ephesians 5.25. He's talking about husbands and wives, but not really. He says, husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. This is his church. He paid for it. And we are his church. He paid for us. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Don't you know your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God and you're not your own? For you're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which belong to God. So we are his body collectively. Look in verse 23. Which is his body? Talking about the church, his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. We are his body collectively. Now, you know what the body does, right? The body carries out the will of the head. And so you got, you got your head here, you got your brain, and your brain tells your body what to do. Well, Jesus Christ is the head. He's the brains of the operation, and he tells the body what he wants it to do. And so we are his body collectively. That means the church is Jesus' hands. The church is Jesus' feet. The church is Jesus' mouthpiece. But we are not only his body collectively. We are his body individually. Which means as a believer in Christ, you and I, you and I are his hands. You and I are his feet. You and I are his mouth. Do you live like that? Do you live like you are the actual body? Of Jesus Christ. What are you doing with your hands? Would Jesus do that with his hands? What are you doing with your feet? Would Jesus go there? What are you doing with your mouth? What's coming out of your mouth? Would Jesus use words like that? If indeed you are the body of Christ. And we are. Can others tell by looking at what your hands do? By looking at where your feet go, by listening to what comes out of your mouth, can they tell you are his body? 
Who is Jesus? He's the resurrected one. Who is Jesus? He's the ascended one. Who is Jesus? He's the exalted one. One more. Who is Jesus? He is the required one. Jesus is the only means to heaven. He is the only means to heaven. In John 10, 9, he says, I am the door. In John 11:25, he says, I am the resurrection. In John 14, 6, he says, I am the way. In Acts 4, 12, Peter, speaking of Jesus, says, He is the name, the only name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved. Jesus Christ is the only way to get to heaven. In Panama, some of our downtime, I was talking to other members of the team. Uh, some were from South Carolina, some were from Kentucky, some were from Texas. I really like the ones from Texas. Um, uh, some were from uh, Tennessee. And we got to talking about, you know, what we're doing. We're telling people about Jesus. And I said, you know, it would be nice if there really were lots of ways to get to heaven. It would be really nice if you could be a, a Buddhist and go to heaven and, or you could be a Muslim and go to heaven or you could be a Mormon and go to heaven or you could be a Jehovah's Witness and go to heaven. Wouldn't it be great if there were multiple ways, multiple paths to heaven? Wouldn't that be nice? And we could even work together. We could work with the Buddhists. We could work with the, the uh, Muslims. I almost said Methodists. Uh, we could work with the, the Muslims. And we could all just work together. You take that part of town. We'll take this part of town. And everybody's going to heaven. There's only one God. Wouldn't that be nice? Yes, it would be nice. It ain't true. Who said so? The church? No, Jesus. He says, I'm the door. I'm the resurrection. I'm the way. We're not closed-minded around here at our church. Jesus said, he's the only way. So guess what? He's the only way. And he gets even more pointed. He tells us, if you have him, if you have Jesus, you have everlasting life. Look at this, John 3:36. He that believes on the Son has everlasting life. Could it be any clearer than that? You believe in the Son, you get everlasting life. But what about the rest of the verse? And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So very simply, if you have Jesus, you have everlasting life. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have everlasting life. Not only that, you remain under God's eternal wrath. We're all going to go to heaven one day. And we're going to stand before God. Standing before the throne or standing at the pearly gates, however you want to visualize it. And heaven's one question for each and every person will be this. What have you done with Jesus? What have you done with Jesus? That's the only question that matters in heaven. What have you done with Jesus? The required answer is, I receive Jesus as my personal Savior. Now, please don't think it's just words that will get it. You don't just stand there before God and say, well, uh, Brother Gary said to say these words. If I say these words, then we're good. No. When you say I receive Jesus as my Savior, that means you truly believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins, that Jesus was buried for your sins, and the third day Jesus rose again from the dead. You truly believe that in your heart, and you stand before God one day, and He says, what have you done with Jesus? You say, I received Him as my Savior. I believe He died, was buried, and rose again from the dead for me. And the 
gates of heaven will open wide for you. Let me share with you the rejected answer to what have you done with Jesus. Here's the rejected answer. Anything else. Anything else. I was a good man. Who cares? I taught Sunday school. Who cares? I gave a lot of money. Who cares? I was a deacon. Who cares? I sang in the choir. Who cares? I played the drums. I care about that because that's your job sitting over there. But anyway, but heaven doesn't care. All those answers will be rejected. The required answer is I've received Christ as my Savior. That's it. Everything else is wrong. You may lay awake at night thinking, okay, well, I'm standing before God one day. Let me prepare my speech. What am I going to say? Uh, you know, I did all these good things. and I'll... Forget it. The required answer the only answer that matters when the question is asked, what have you done with Jesus? You better say and mean it. I received him as my Savior. Everything else, eh, it's wrong. And you will spend an eternity in a devil's hell. Don't be a fool. Receive Christ as your Savior. So who is he? Who is Christ? He's the resurrected one. He's the ascended one. Very busy. Yes, he's ascended, but he's very, very, very busy. He's the exalted one. Don't take his name in vain. He's Lord God Almighty. And he's the required one. You got Jesus, you'll live forever. You don't have Jesus, you'll burn forever. So the invitation should be quite obvious this morning. Receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Right where you're sitting, standing, whatever, invite Jesus Christ. Believe that he died, was buried, and rose again from the dead for you. But for most of us in this room or watching online, we've already received Christ as Savior, for real. And so what's the invitation? Don't forget who Jesus is. He's the resurrected one. He's the ascended one. He's the exalted one. Live your life accordingly and share that message with others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you when it came to sending Jesus. You didn't send some leftovers. You didn't send uh, some powerless individual. You sent your one and only son. You sent the second member of the Holy Trinity he is Lord God Almighty. Help us to receive him. And having received him, may we live our lives for him. Through Christ we ask. Amen.